welcome to No Page Unturned, the podcast where Christina, Steph, and myself, Josh, go in-depth discussing books, mainly focusing on those written by BIPOC and LGBTQ plus authors. You don't have to read along with us, but be warned, there will be spoilers ahead. Welcome back. Today we will be reading the second book in the Course of Dragon series by Jen Lyons. Uh, in the United States, this book came out only nine months after the first one, The Ruin of Kings. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, The Name of All Things. Yay! Thanks for joining us. Uh, if this is the first book in the series, no it's not. Go back, listen to Ruin of Kings, the podcast, or at least read the first book. Um, because you will not understand what's going on if you haven't. You also should read the second book because we will be talking spoilers for the whole book. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Um, so in the previous podcast, we did about 10 chapters per episode. Um, this book is a little bit shorter and a little bit, uh, more information heavy. Um, yes. (laughs) Thick with three C's. So we will be covering only about eight chapters, uh, but it breaks down pretty evenly for the episodes, so um, get ready for a wild ride. Yeah, these first chapters are so dense, because, like, you have, not only do you have, you know, the actual kind of, like, uh, events of the chapter that Janelle and, and Korn are regaling, but you also have... The beginning parts where it's Kieran talking to them in this storm shelter and like even those bits, even though sometimes they're only like a page, page and a half, are really jam packed with information. And so I remember I was like reading and I think my I, I had a page of notes only like four chapters in and uh, and I texted you guys and I was like, 10 chapters is a lot. <laughs> the prologue before even chapter one begins has a lot of uh, mm-hmm. information that is worth discussing. But before we get into that, uh, Steph, how... Because uh, we, me and Christina, experienced this book in like real time. Like, mm. like, like around... Did you read this book immediately after reading the first book? Yes, yes. And this was also the first time I learned of the existence of footnotes. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. that's right. <laughs> because yeah. in the ebook. The footnotes for the, this book and the later books are a little more noticeable um, because they're they're numbered instead of having just like asterisks. So it was a little easier to find them. And then also, I think you guys had just mentioned them at this point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I definitely uh, understood this one a lot more. I'm always interested in like, when someone reads a book and how that affects their opinion of the book uh, or like just like their overall um, experience with a book because like when this book came out I was not uh, adjusted to a second book of a series coming out so quickly Mm -hmm. and I remember uh, talking to Christina via DMs on Twitter and being like Hey, did you know this second book is like, because we had talked about The Ruin of Kings because she reviewed it for geeklyinc.com and I had read it shortly after that. I remember DMing her and being like, hey, did you know this book is coming out so soon? And then eventually, like, we got advanced reader copies of the book and it was the first book that we both 
wrote separate reviews for Ooh. and so it was like we we made it like this whole big uh and you can like read our articles that we wrote for this book uh on geekylink.com um so like i feel like we had a whole experience with this book that may be different from just picking it up and reading it mm-hmm. uh one after the other and i'm always interested with like um how that affects a person's opinion of a book I think the big thing for me was I did like this book, but by the end of this book, I was, I think we've talked about this before. I was like, I really want the story to move forward chronologically. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've basically had two books of backstory at this point, And I think I asked you guys and I was like, please tell me that the next book is not more backstory. And, and you, you, I think it was Josh that said like, no, the first two books are like Captain America and Thor and book three is the Avengers. And where everybody finally gets together and they're working on the thing and they're moving forward. Oh, I'm so smart. You are so smart. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, like, I still enjoyed this book. And I, de- I, we, we, I think we've also talked a bit where it was a lot easier for me to make connections to book one because I had just read it. Right. Um, so I remember we, we talked about how I was, like, connecting things, um, I think, easier than you guys were. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it definitely that's probably like my only criticism of this book is like it's a long it's like it's not as long but it's very dense and it's a lot of stuff and but ultimately it doesn't move the plot super forward like the overarching plot of the entire series yeah yeah because it takes place over the course of three days in real time and then it's a lot of janelle's backstory which is very interesting but when the frame when when the framing device is we're sitting at a tavern, it's kind of like all of us play D and D, and so all of us are kind of like, yeah, you start at the tavern. Let's yeah, go. exactly. Like that's the beginning. So it's still a good book. I mean, it's it's still highly enjoyable, and definitely like having now read it again, and this second time reading it after having read the first book twice as well. Um, there's so much in here. Like, there's so much to to talk about and, and deconstruct, um, which I'm very excited about. So I think I will enjoy it a lot more this second time because I know what I'm in for a bit more. And I can just enjoy the ride. Right. I wonder, too, if... Did you find you enjoyed it more this time because you kind of knew that there would be progress? Or did you find that... Did you also maybe find that um, you enjoyed it more because there was a gap? Because I think you went directly from book one to I book did, two. I did, yeah. Um, and that can be... Like I needed, I needed some time to digest the first book. I was like, "Wait a minute, who got reincarnated as what now?" It was interesting because I was also editing the episodes that we did mm-hmm. for like the end of Ruin yeah. of Kings, kind of right as I started reading this too. So actually, listening to our last episode on the Ruin of Kings right before I started reading this was really helpful because there's so many references to. Janelle and Kieran's afterlife adventure in these first couple chapters, and I was able to catch them because I had just caught up on that. Yeah, um, so that did help. Um, but yeah, I think no, not not reading the book and like being like, when are we getting to what's happening? Reading now and not waiting for that and not wondering when that's going to happen, I think, is increased my enjoyment. Uh, of all the book, if you include listening to the audiobook this is the one I've reread the most. This will be my fifth time 
Oh my god. Reading wow. this book because I I read it and then I me- almost immediately listened to the audiobook. Mm. And then I read it again right before uh book three came out and then I read it again right before book four came out. And so this will be my fifth time nice. re- I don't I, I don't know. I will get into it as like we go through the chapters, but I ra- I rank this one really highly on the books because I uh, like especially when it was there there was only this one and the first book out because a lot of book 1 it was very very like familiar fantasy like you like there's other mm-hmm. fantasy books that are very much like book 1 and I mm-hmm. when I read this one I was like there's I don't know any other fantasy books that I've read that was like book two. It was That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably I think the densest of all four books too. Because you have there's definitely times in this book where like they're you're really shoehorning in Jorati's culture. Cause like you get the sense that like Jen Lyons like really developed this culture in her head and wanted to get it on paper and like, hey, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um but just in terms of like we know more about Jorah than I think we know about any other part of Kur because so much detail is in this book and so much like dense cultural stuff is in this book. Um, and then also because yeah, you have just the, the swapping around and then the way that things have to link up to book one. So there's a lot of information in this book. Yeah, she has to put in all the time markers to be like, yeah. and this is when Kieran was doing X. Mm-hmm. I found this where the... This book was the least difficult for me to, like, process, weirdly Mm. enough, because even though it's dense, it's fairly, like, Janelle is a very straightforward character, Mm. and there's not a lot of, and then my soul was reborn in this other person that got swapped (laughs) with this other body, and I'm like, for some reason, I can't, like, it's really hard for me to keep that straight. I have so many charts, but now, like, Janelle, she's strong. I punched this guy. Yeah. And the guy gets punched. He doesn't turn into something else. Yeah. Also, so. Janelle is a very, like, blunt character. Yeah. And Jen Lyons gets that in her, the way when she tells the story, it comes out that way. She, like, it isn't just like, oh, she speaks bluntly in dialogue. Mm-hmm. No, she, even the way that she tells her section of the story yeah. is very blunt. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like, uh, the Jorati's thing uh even comes out in the in the book uh like like plot wise because uh core and the like the capital that the first book mostly takes place in is like such a like they're an empire they've become an, an amalgamation of different cultures and their culture is like you know empireness and conquering while Jorati's their culture is like everything. Like it's so like it it the Jorty's culture is, seems like more important to them than uh Koros culture is yeah. to like the capital city. They're like the Quebec mm. of Kor. <laughs> I don't think the Quebecois or the Jorties would be flattered by that comparison. No, Nevertheless, no, I think it's correct. <laughs> like I don't know what core like I don't remember Kieran being like, oh, in the capital city, you know, spaghetti is part of our culture. <laughs> but like within yeah. like this first prologue, I'm like, oh, Jorati's cheese is like more gooey than uh, right. than Quora cheese, and they put chili sauce in their 
uh, in their porridge. They're basically making bibimbap by the sounds of it. It's like rice and vegetables and chili paste. Yeah. But it's something that's barley, which is like interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She clearly drew like, I like that she didn't take from a single recognizable culture and, you know, be like, guys, it's Shmaria instead of Korea. (laughs) It's like, yes, thank you. Mix it up. Like, let's not, let's not appropriate here. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, it's not just like fantasy Japan or fantasy yeah. England. Oh, God, it's like yeah. the, that. Let let's not let's not even enter into a conversation about the word exotic and how. Ooh, that's yeah, not mm. yeah. So thank you, Jen Lyons, for not making us talk about that. You're not exotifying a land that is no longer exotic because of globalism. Good looking out. Okay, so the book. First page starts out, we realize that Thervishar is not the one. Same, like, format with the manuscripts and different tellers. But from the jump, we know that Thervishar is not the one dealing with this manuscript. It's someone named Senere, and she is handing this manuscript to uh, Relosvar. Like, that's, I don't remember if she specifically names him in the beginning, but we kind of get. I think get... she writes it to like my dear Lord Var. Oh, okay. Then yeah. So from the jump, we know that all yeah. this whole story of the second book, Rallus Var is reading it and he has it in his hands. And so I thought that was a good way to like, oh, this is different. This th- mm. this is something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite. I I really love that with this letter from Senaray. Like there is instantly a different tone of a uh, recorder you know she he, you know she refers to thervishar as the dolores brat oh she's and snarky it, and i love it. yeah it feels very much like like she's writing a burn book like oh my god can you believe <laughs> these assholes check this out you know like it's it's such a different tone and and even throughout the footnotes too like it's yeah it's very sassy it's very snarky like she's making fun of them for the most part yeah and also she can't help but point out the points where Kieran or Janelle are like dramatically wrong about their assumptions, mm-hmm. um, which is a nice touch because Thervishar was very much like, huh, that's an interesting point. Let's let's continue this footnote on the third page. Senera does not care. And I realized, too, the fact that Senere has this stuff should be a huge clue that Korn is switched sides and gone to Senere and Rolos Var because right. Korn is the one recording all this he's using another magic rock type thing right and she even says in the letter our friend's input was useful and like even like oh he didn't want to do it at first but you know yeah so that's one of those things where like it smacked me in the face so much this time like oh my god that's how they it should have been really obvious like how else did did she get all this it was not obvious to me at all no that was massively shocking the first time i read Mm -hmm. it right but i feel like that's in defense of my younger self, you know, one and a half years younger, it could also be under, like, so much of the first book was people recounting their stories under duress. And so... Mm. That's true. Yeah. I, I think that, like, if you if you made certain assumptions, like I did, yeah, probably had, had reason to do so. But yeah, it's... Jen Lyons is very good about dropping so many hints that they don't seem like hints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They just seem like, I can't possibly keep track of all of that. Yeah, <laughs> she's really good at, like, putting up a smoke cloud. Yeah. Yeah, and then when we get into the story, 
the section where Janelle uh, refers to Cone as her best friend, and he's visibly mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Oh, no, she describes him as a priest of Vishai and a healer and her best friend. And he's visibly uncomfortable, and Kieran notices it. And, but Kieran thinks to himself, did he protest the the physiker part or the priest part? Because uh, earlier in the prologue, she refers to him as her dearest friend, and he has no uh, sign of, like, uh, reacting to that at all. Mm. But mm. when she when she says it the second time, they had just been talking about Relosvar, so mm. it, it feels like now he's thinking about, oh, I'm going to betray them. And Interesting okay, close okay, reading. Fine. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Because I had assumed that that... I, a, I barely remember it, because my brain has turned to, well, soft... Mm. Uh, soft cheese. Um, <laughs> jo- but, Jor- yeah, I assume that it... Yeah, exactly. Georgie's. Georgie's. That sounds kind of gross. I'm not mm. going to use that anymore. Mm, okay, fine. Mm. Horse cheese. <laughs> That's fine. Regardless of the kind of cheese, my brain just melting. Um, <laughs> I assume that it was due to the priest part, because later they get into it with, like, what even are the gods? What do, like you think the gods are one way, but it turns out that they're just like playing you for a sucker. Mm. Um, so I assume that he knew more than he was telling there, um, but perhaps not, because I assume that his decision to betray them was impulsive. A little bit, yeah, but I think it was also built up of he has this long-standing relationship with Relisvar, even if he didn't know it, you know, as, as father Zajira. And so it's this, you know, this guy that's been his mentor his entire life. And Relisvar is very persuasive. Like that's probably one of the things that this book does the best is make Relisvar seem understandable. And like what he's going for is relatable. In this book, he definitely comes off as less the like big, bad, evil guy than the first book. He's just like, he's a ruthless guy, but it's because he's trying to save the world, mm-hmm. supposedly. He, well, he's, also, he's like, he's like a master manipulator, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if the, here's a thought I only just thought of now. So Kieran has every right when he comes in and he sees the situation and he sees his this dream girl that Valtaroth mm-hmm. made him think of. He has every right to think this is a trick and not yeah. to trust them. And he looks at her and thinks it's a trick, but he looks at Cone and he, he's like, oh, he's unassuming. And it's ironic because Cone's <laughs> the one that betrays yeah. And That's a good point. And yeah. Cone yeah. specifically, doesn't he, isn't he the one that knocks out Kieran at the end? Mm-hmm. So yep. it's like direct. Mm. That's, yeah, a ni- yeah. that's a nice flippity flop. That is good. That's a good point. Jen Lyons has done nothing by accident that we no, can tell it's true. yet. <laughs> yeah, everything has a purpose. We're pretty sure anyway. Also, mm-hmm. I love that Kieran, um, like, because of his experience with the noble houses, as soon as he sees uh, Janelle's eyes, he's like, oh, is she also a bastard of some kind? Um, and he starts, like, thinking, oh, who has red eyes with noble houses? And then that comes up again in the later chapters. He makes the c- connection about uh, when he ran into Zaltaroth. 
and Zaltaroff said that he like enjoyed torturing uh, General Corin Milagrese's right. eight-year-old mm-hmm. daughter, and he was like, oh, Janelle told me that she was eight years old when this hell march with the demons happened, and then like it's it it's funny how quick now that Kieran has all this information from the first book that he makes all these connections uh to with like the prophecies and Janelle. Yeah. He's not stupid at least. Like they're mm-hmm. he's he's making the connections and he's saying them and everyone's like, okay, we can we can move forward with that as like a reasonable assumption. Because there's nothing I hate more than books that are like, they treat you as, like, you can't figure it out. It's like, oh my god, it turns out she was the fourth hell warrior all along. No, Kieran's, like, explicitly like, you seem like you might be the fourth person. And Janelle's like, "Mm -hmm, sounds right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not a son, but a dude. So, okay, fair. Yeah. 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 A stallion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know how much we want to talk about the Jorati's concepts of sex sexuality and gender and i think they're awesome but i've also rad. talked about them a lot it's one of the best uh, allegories for gender versus sex mm-hmm. that i've ever read in a book but that being said i think we're we're operating under the assumption that the people who are listening to this have read the book so i don't think we need to go too into it but um yeah, I mean, it's it's like one of the best representations of the difference between sex and gender that I've ever seen in, in any kind of book. And it's it like, if I ever wanted to, like, show it to somebody who didn't, even in, like, the real world who, like, didn't understand, I would maybe, like, send them that chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I did pick up on that I've never picked up on before in that section, that and that is in chapter two. Uh, when she when she explains uh, Jorty's uh, gender identities, after she explains it, Kieran immediately his first question is what her pronouns heart were, and I was like, "Oh, good on you, Kieran!" It's yeah. certain like, yeah, like first question. He's like, "Oh, do do I call you she or or he or he?" And she goes, "Oh, she." Yeah. And I yeah. thought I thought that was I didn't pick up on that the first time I read it. Or the other three times before yeah. this, I read. <laughs> yeah, again, like he's not dumb. No, he's yeah. he's thoughtful. He's just a yeah. little. He's still a little naive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I like it a lot, and I think um, mm-hmm. it's also nice to like. It's a little bit hilarious to me because it's also like such a a horse girl sort of like. <laughs> I explain everything in terms of horses. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't actually know that many people in elementary school who were horse people, but like damn if there wasn't a girl in my theater camp who to called boys like people who presented as male toms because she was obsessed with the musical cats. Nice. And it was just kind of like I didn't even know what to do with it, but it turns out that that might have actually been a very helpful way to think about gender. So thank you, person whose name I don't remember. And that girl was Jen Lyons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, and like Kieran's, it's funny how Kieran basically knows so very little about uh, Jor- Jorat and Jorati's culture. Because like mm-hmm. from the moment he walks in and he's like, Oh, what is this? A barn? I thought this was a tavern. <laughs> and not understanding that, you know, most taverns in Jorat probably have stables 
because of how they not only treat their horses, but because of the Firebloods. Firebloods, which mm-hmm. he didn't even know, were not right? horses. How is that not more well-known? I get that they don't have the internet, but the idea that there is, like, a sentient, like, species running, literally running around. They're in the, the kingdom. They're imperial citizens with full yeah. rights. Yeah. You'd think they'd know. It might also be that maybe you've heard of it, but, like... If I were right. a fireblood, I wouldn't want to really leave Jorat because no one yeah. can understand me when I talk. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. And, like, maybe people just haven't... I mean, like, they don't look like horses if you look close enough, but I don't know how many horses you spend your time around in core. So. Yeah. Although you'd think that the fangs would be a giveaway. Like, I'm <laughs> right? nervous horses freak yeah. you the fuck out. <laughs> Doesn't Senere have a footnote about that? She's like, they have fangs. They eat meat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh... Like, I don't think I really thought about how different Firebloods look from... Like, they they, they constantly talk about their legs having mm. tiger stripes. Yeah. And then Senere's notes about fangs. And then they have their own language. And it, I think it doesn't... It, it, it illustrates that even though this big... It shows how ethnocentric the empire of or is mm-hmm. because it they have like they talk about their magical schools and their education in the first book a lot and how like mm-hmm. high and mighty they are yet they they don't even know about the firebloods or like don't teach yeah. they don't teach the average core capital citizen about firebloods that mm-hmm. Again, though, Kieran did have a, like, very low on the on the mm. uh, hierarchy class-wise upbringing, so. Yeah, he was pretty sheltered. <clears throat> he does remark about, like, oh, this makes Darzen trying to uh, breed a fire blood even more atrocious. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, either Darzen was an idiot or, knowing Darzen, he probably did this. He knew about fire bloods and still did it. Didn't care, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually, I remembered that in particular, and I was reading the first book with an eye to that, and Kieran, every time he interacts with uh, the Fireblood he thinks is a horse, he addresses her by name, mm. like, by the name that he thinks that yeah. he's given her. Um, very respectfully, he plays music for her, and, like, he's doing it kind of in a light-hearted way, yeah. but, it like, from the Fireblood's perspective... Like, it it seems very respectful. So yeah, yeah. You know, She's like, I'd be right, fine this is the it. best I'm gonna get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like being respectful to what you think is a creature, mm-hmm. you know, even even a horse, like that speaks very highly of a person. That is something that you he's not expecting to be sentient sapient, but he's still treating them well because that's what you do because you're not a monster. Right. Speaks to Kieran. He good boy. He good boy. Yeah. Mm. He's also yeah. like it's one of the ways that you you tell if you're dating a dickhead is like mm. how how are, how nice are they to people who don't who like can't fight back? Yeah. Like wait staff mm-hmm. or cashiers is like don't be a dick to the people who have no power. Yeah. So good job, mm-hmm. Kieran. Uh, can we talk about how fucking great Dorna is? <laughs> she's we can talk she's about that immediately the best character in the whole series 
she's a gambling, sassy, old, horny lady that (laughs) she's great. (laughs) She flirts with everyone. Yeah, it's like chapter one. Okay, I wrote down this quote. Uh, So it's like they're they're making bets or somebody somebody wants to make a bet on who's going to win Janelle versus this bandit leader. Mm -hmm. Says Dorna straightened. Ah, now you're running in my pasture. Put me down for 10 thrones. My count kicks your boss's ass. She tapped (laughs) Brother Cohen on the shoulder. Priest, I need to borrow 10 thrones. (laughs) Like, oh, so good. I love it. Yeah, Dorna's great. She is excellent comedic relief, but also just like so fiercely and awesomely supportive of Janelle. And it's great. It reminds me a lot of like, Actually, of my grandmother, if she had been able to travel with me on horseback instead of sitting in her comfy <laughs> chair watching murder mysteries. Um, you know, she she's intensely caring, but also takes absolutely no shit from Janelle. Nice. She's like, what are you yeah. doing, you moron? But she'll defend her against any anyone else. Totally. So it's um, it's always nice when characters have checks on their personality mm. so that they don't become... You know, like, the problem, it's the problem with Superman. Like, there's no one who can beat Superman, and he's already, like, the most moral person ever, so it's kind of like, <laughs> where's, where is, there's no tension, no yeah. tension can come from this. Um, and Janelle is Superman level strong, but fortunately yeah. she is 16 and confused. Yeah, I love the whole thing about how they've just been running around, like, tempting bandits to attack them mm-hmm. and then taking the beating the shit out of them and turning them in for ransom and that's just how she makes her money right i i feel like this book okay so in the first book we established like very early on kieran is captured he's gonna he's gonna die the person he's talking to is a monster that can like transform into mm-hmm. other creatures and uh I forget what else, but there's like a whole bunch of mysteries very early on. And this book does that very similarly. Like very early on, we learn, uh, you know, from uh, Janelle slamming the door shut. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a dragon involved. Uh, then there's a second dragon involved. For some reason, not only does Cone have another cornerstone, but mm-hmm. Janelle has ridiculous strength. And then from this very first chapter, she has fire resistance when she accidentally mm-hmm. puts her hand in uh, the fire and ruins her favorite glove, which <laughs> just happens to be her only glove. And that there's another person that they're waiting on to arrive that um, that can't arrive because there's a storm outside. So it, like the first book, it sets up things for the future. Like, here's the setup, here are things that are going to happen, or, like, are going to be revealed why they are, and then through the course of this book, you're going to find out, uh, like, how, like, where this stuff comes from, just like the first book does, with Kieran being mm-hmm. captured, and this mimic, and, uh, all these other things. You might be wondering how I got here, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it is impressive. Oh yeah. Josh, to your point that like every single thing that happens kind of serves at least two purposes. Mm. Like there's nothing that happens that doesn't serve both character and like narrative. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, Janelle is super strong, impatient, blunt, and forthright, and also kind of funny and 
doesn't care about her clothes. Just like, great. We got we got a really good sense of character really quickly as opposed to like, you know, I don't really... One, one of the things that I notice in a lot of fantasy is like if if there's a lot of focus on what the person looks like that stands in for character development, mm. it's like her eyes were so red and they're like poppies in a field. You just wanted to lie down and go to sleep. It was like, all right. Right. But that doesn't um, tell me about her as a like person. sounds like a boring person if you want to go to sleep. Um, but I think here nothing is allowed to do like single duty like that. It's just kind of like her eyes are red. Right. So she must be a political player. And how does she fit into the larger political universe? And it's like, we're already scheme, scheme, scheme. Yeah. It wasn't until this this reading that I realized that uh, Janelle is described as having burnt sienna skin. Like, I did not pick that up the first couple of times I read it. And it just shows, like, how character development and personality blossom more from these books than maybe mm-hmm. appearances does. Mm-hmm. Like, we all know she has, like, reddish hair, and it's in the, the lavos, the, like... Where it's trimmed on the sides to look like yeah. the horse mane. But otherwise, it's not so. And that she, is she... I might be imagining it, but is she tall? I imagine she's tall. I don't I assume. think so. I don't know. But they, they talk about, you know, when she's in the woods, how, like, small and frail she looks. Oh, okay. But, the, but also, she's 16 at that point. So she might not be tall? Or she might, she might grow? I don't know. I might be conflating... How strong she is with tallness. Yeah. I don't know if we ever get a real height for her, actually. Well, now I'm going to be paying attention. Yeah. Her, yeah, so. we can watch out for it. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny how that transforms in your head, though, because I also mm. think of her as, like, this really big presence, because she also mm. has so much... Josh, how do you pronounce it? Edora? Yeah. Edora? Edora. Edora? Okay. Okay, yeah, because she's yeah. got so much of that, like... it's. I love that word because you immediately understand it, even if you would have mm. a hard time explaining So it's like a cross between charisma yeah. and honor and duty yeah. and obligation and mm-hmm. nobility. Yeah. So it's like you have this, like, and social, like, standing. So, you know, she breaks Nineveh's leg and then a bunch of fuckboys show up and she immediately, <laughs> like... <laughs> takes ownership of this bandit group mm-hmm. and and part of like why that is it, it's, it's 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 so in multiple ways we learn about it because the jorates people around there are immediately like oh okay yeah she's she's shown her idora over us she's gonna protect us uh and then it it also shows how the non-Jorites people don't understand that instinctually. And it's, it is really impressive that like immediately, like we, we also as readers pretty much understand what's going on. Yeah. I, I love that scene because uh, she clearly like, you know, wanted to win the duel, but when, mm-hmm. when she breaks her leg, Janelle's immediately like, Oh no, I didn't mean to do that. This is bad. Yeah, like she feels so bad, and it is so interesting. Like, because we learn that she's done this to lots of different bandit groups, and she just mm-hmm. sends them on their merry way and collects the bounty. But this group, she immediately is like, "No, I'm protecting these people. They're mine." Yeah, and then that's and then the Jorates people around there all understand immediately. Like, okay, yep, said and done. Like they're under her protection now. 
I love it because it appeals to, I think, what we think of, not the historical reality, but the what we think of when we think of cowboys, when we think of knights, mm. when we think of all the, like, big concept or samurai, yeah. pick your culture, but, like, people treating it as a very deadly game, but as a game. It's like, okay, you beat me, like, right. fair fight. There's, like, a um, supposed code of honor. There's a code, everyone yeah. follows it, and everyone is going to be, like, no one's going to step outside of it. It's, it's mm-hmm. almost like a mafia movie where it's, like, we don't go after wives, we don't go after yeah. children. This is, like, a battle among the mafia dons. Yeah, and then um, these, like, fuckboys show up, and it's v- immediately obvious that they are not Joratees, yeah. even though they are painted up to look Joratees, because they don't understand that instinctually. And so you immediately understand that, like, not only are these people not Joratees, they are also not honorable people, and they are not to be trusted. Okay, can we talk about d for a minute? Because I... This time, I don't think I ever thought about it before. Do you think Djuk was... Or- okay, so it's later revealed that Djuk is dead. And that the demon... Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. It begins with a K. Has already... Casmodius. Casmodius. has been inhabiting his body. Do you think he's already a demon at this point? Because uh, when he gets close to Janelle, hmm. she says, like, there's something off about him. There's, like, a, a smell or a sense of rot coming from him. Mm. Okay, okay. So, like... It's possible, but, yeah. like, I think there's a spectrum, right? Because Janelle's on that spectrum, too. It's not, like, demon mm-hmm. light switch. Yes, no. Yeah. So I wonder... Yeah. I don't I don't think I know enough to answer that question about yeah. demon transformation. And it's possible that Jen Lyons hadn't figured out her, like hierarchy of demons yet too because they're in in book four there's that uh one of the appendices is a hierarchy of demons and types of demons yeah it's possible she hadn't exactly codified that out yet right because I, I thought he was like a zombie more for like the longest time oh okay you know like a like a real like um you know almost like a like a haitian you know voodoo style zombie right like mm-hmm. super strong like no brain kind of like under under somebody's control but yeah, he's, he's also not quite that. Because even in Hell, you have those dogs that are kind of like semi That is the most horrible thing. I love it so <laughs> Maybe much. the scariest, fucked most up. fucked up thing in these books. Right. God. It yes. reminds me of like Japanese. There's, what, I think it's Audition, where she's so psychologically tortures some dude that he acts like a dog. And it's just kind of like, oh, this is so wrong. I think you brought that up when we talked about them last book i only too. have so many things that i know <laughs> <laughs> you were like, have you guys watched this and we said no and you were like don't <laughs> yeah yeah i mean okay so we're recording this on halloween so i revised oh, yeah. that for today only there you go and um, maybe tomorrow depending it's in this chapter that uh the lones hell march is referred to mm. where the janelle mm. was involved in and they're expl- explaining uh where the Danarak come from. It was this fire blood that basically warned everybody that Emperor Kandor was going to flood sections of Jorat to get uh, to get the God King to open a certain uh, section where they could like get in and slay him. Mm-hmm. And um, the interesting part uh, that I took from this is uh, at the end when 
she's describing this story. She says, the low neige hell march had started because some witch and Maricor had summoned a demon more powerful than they could control. I want. Do we ever find out about? I can't remember. Do we Good find point. out about that witch hmm. and the demon that? I don't uh, remember, but maybe we'll find out either. as we read. But I love how this. There's red flags immediately in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Like red flag number one, the guard captain doesn't understand the uh, fire blood. What is Janelle's fire blood companion named? I can't remember. Oh fuck. Um. Sir, starts with an S. I'll start with an A. I should have wrote it down. I know the other one's name is Hammeratus. Yeah, Scandal is Hammeratus. Scandal, but I forgot. Okay, well. Arisgon. Arisgon. There we go. So, red flag number one. The guard captain doesn't understand uh, Arisgon when, uh, when he tries to talk to him. Red flag number two. He doesn't understand the concept of Vidora. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. get the... From Janelle. Mm-hmm. And red flag number three, all these guards uh, looking lustily at uh, Nineveh when she, when they... And uh, and Tam, when they're captured... Gam. Gam. G- Gam, the Miller's Gam daughter. daughter. The Miller's daughter, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. And, uh... Like, that completely, like, Goes against the whole like, uh, Edora versus Thudaja. Like you're not supposed to do things like that. And then there's like more red flags in later chapters. But God, I I just want to talk about. I hate D joke so much. Like he sucks. When, when Janelle mm-hmm. like when he's trying to talk down to her, and Janelle starts like choking him out. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Um, and we learn from Deidre that the Baron is looking for the demon-claimed child, which... Yeah, prophecies again. Yes, prophecies, and, like, it's very weird because, like, we we get a sense from Janelle pretty quickly that she believes that it's her, mm-hmm. right. um, for a number of reasons, and... But then other people, like, sometimes, I think it's um, Kalazan later also believes it's her, but he thinks it's, like, a good thing. Like, it's right. it's very, um... She seems in fucking... denial at some points, though. Like, she doesn't want to believe it. One of the actually really good quotes from uh, A Song of Ice and Fire is the idea that uh, prophecy is a sword with no hilt and there's no way to, there's no safe way to hold it. Right. And it, like, it's the idea that it can prophecy can mean so much to different people and in this case, like the Baron, uh, you know, we find out is actually a friend of Janelle's, you know, later. And like, he's looking at for this, this demon claim child because he believes that, you know, it's a threat, a threat to him. Kalazan, on the other hand, believes that this demon claim child is referring to Janelle being Janelle Danarak and that she's going to save them from the witches or the bad people, you know, like it's very, uh, it, it's prophecy is sucks basically is what i'm going for with this i i just remembered red flag number four and i i pointed out these red flags because this is like the first two chapters that we figure like the reader could figure out things are very very wrong here red flag number four they talk about uh cone talks about how when they captured other bandits it was like a game and, and they were like oh you got us and now mm-hmm. we're gonna go like be uh serve you know our uh, like our herd leader for a mm-hmm. little while and it's no big deal but these bandits when they get caught by janelle and these guards show up 
they're like very downtrodden and very mm-hmm. like forlorn and Conan is like this is very very different mm. yeah and I, I like that sense of of you got us it's very mm. um it's very classical actually so like raids that you use to show your manhood but like people didn't necessarily get hurt like cattle raiding yeah. um I think people did get hurt largely, but um, yeah. the whole point was not to murder people and be the best. It was just kind of like to, it's like sports almost, except the yeah. only sports. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, all right, you won. You don't need to kill us because right. what would that prove? You've already proved that you can win and st- yeah. and be and yeah, win- be stronger or better than us. Killing at that point serves no purpose. Right. And then, like, I love the idea that in sports slash Jorat, if you get beat, then you go join the team and you learn yeah. from them that beat you. It's like, okay, well, you guys are better yeah. at this. Let me figure yeah. out how you how you do it, um, which is kind of lovely. It's just like, if you are bad at something, then the whole, cu- the whole culture is there to make you better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, has been badly subverted by yes. empire and demons yes. and right alas yeah i like in uh the next chapter uh, I, I like overall that cone goes through a lot of culture shock mm-hmm. in this book like they go through the town with the bandits and the people and he like qu- he goes quote unquote town because we learn later that Taman has been like ruining towns because he keeps capturing and burning innocent people as witches but the townsfolk as they're like passing through they're not looking at the outlaws with like disgust they're looking at the guards with disgust and cone's like why are they doing this i i I never associated jorat with rebellion before Mm -hmm. and senere has this great note that i wrote down uh, she says that's because no one appreciates the Jorty's insistent that bad rulers step down or be overthrown. Mm. Rebellion is steeped in their blood. Consider they're the only dominion to overthrow their own god king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that is just a great place to start understanding a culture. It's yeah. not like. And then they woke up, and this is how they milk the horses, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, let's get to the heart of it. Jorates don't stand for bullshit. Mm-hmm. Except it turns out that they do, because eventually things get so bad that they can't help it, but like... Yeah, and that's something that they, they kind of talk about later in the book, once we've had our introduction to Jorates' culture. I think, right. I don't know if it's Kieran who who brings us up with the idea that like, the structures of Jorates' customs and culture are great, but they are too rigid sometimes, and Janelle be- ends up being like overly rigid right. because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those because having such a rigid structure to your society doesn't help. Uh, yeah, but we'll get that, to that. And that's also like a lot of Janelle's inner conflict in this book mm-hmm. is I feel like um, she has this idealized version of the Jorty's political system yes. in her head, and. The idea of someone abusing that system seems so outrageous to her. Mm-hmm. And then she later, that happens. Like, yeah. uh, like what happens with Orith? What happens with Taman? Mm-hmm. What happens with um, 
I forget his name, the one that's like basically in charge of Jorat. Yeah, that guy. That comes up later. Yeah. yeah. That guy. And then Senere also has a note about how what if like what if someone doesn't wanna be like back into the herd? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very collectivist culture and mm-hmm. Janelle is say what you want about Poir and like you can say a lot of things, is a bad place, but everyone kind of at least understands that you if you do a bad thing you might not be the kind of person who steps down and acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. And so they have some more checks and balances for that, like the legal yes. system. It yes. doesn't work very well, but like... Mm-hmm. Because as we, we find out, Janelle is also running from that check and balance. Right. And that's the ultimate irony. Yeah. So the the process is called censure. And it's basically if people are like, no, you're out, you're then you're out. Well, turns out that so-and-so bribed a bunch of people in Janelle's grandfather's court and they censured her out and she didn't like that for somebody who uh is all about the honor and the structure of Jorati's politics when push came to shove she didn't go for it um yeah. which yeah again is like a, a big source of of problem for her throughout the book and she has to she has to wrestle with that but because she's yeah. unfairly being deprived of her place. Yes. Like, the people who are trying to get her out aren't on the level. They're mm-hmm. doing it for money, basically. But she doesn't... Yeah. She's so straightforward that she can't repay in kind. And, yeah. like, I think that's good. You shouldn't try to beat your enemies by going as low as you yeah. possibly can. But yeah. at the same time, like, Jorati's culture only works if everyone is meeting mm-hmm. you on the same level playing field of, okay, we're all gonna honor... The concept of honor. Yeah. And some people just, like, some people are sociopaths. It's just, just yeah, like, right. all it takes is, like, a couple bad actors. Right. Can we talk about the uh, Cone's faith, the shy faith? Mm. They are uncomfortably close to the truth. Right. Did Velasvar <laughs> make it up? I think he did. Yes. Yes, I think I don't, so. I don't remember if they confirmed yes. that, but they do. I believe we find out later that he made it up. And yeah. then inserted himself as the leader of it. Right. Hey, and like, Senere has a known as, hey, did you know the gods are just wizards who are really good with spells? Maybe you shouldn't, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't worship them. And I'm like, and then that turns out to be pretty much true. Pretty much it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of them weren't even wizards. Right. Some of them were just really stubborn. Let's talk about demons a little bit. So one of the things that we're getting a lot at the at the beginnings of these chapters is Janelle talking about like her and Kieran's adventure in the afterlife. Right. And she doesn't realize at first that he does not remember. So like he shows up and she, she's like so excited to see him and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. because she's like, you know, like, Oh, this, this really important person to me has showed up. We shared this very intense, but short, moment together and he saved my life they ate a and he doesn't remember together. any of it yeah oh and he was like the only person who ever believed she could fight the demon impulse yeah yeah so there's a bit where she in chapter four where she they're talking about the hell the launish hell march and everything and she there's a, there's a quote she says we find human fear delicious i mean they do yeah and she's talking about demons so like she straight up thinks she's a demon but then later, she says it, I have on good authority that I'm not a demon. Kieran told her that. Yeah. Right. 
Omega Kieran told her that. Um, Omega. Also, <laughs> Omega Kieran. What did I call? Perfect. I think I called him Omega Kieran last time. I like that name. Galaxy Brain Kieran. Yeah, Galaxy Brain Kieran in the afterlife told her that. So it's just, and that's something that I would not have caught had I not just edited that episode. I totally the idea didn't that catch like it. the good authority she's talking about is Kieran. Right, right, right. Okay. And also, uh, Zaltaroth has some real good like wine mom energy in this chapter. Like, <laughs> I am so proud of you, my daughter. You're doing so good at murder. <laughs> okay, it's totally her voice from now on. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote these notes that for a while ago, and I just have to read them in this section because uh, I had to look up what these notes referred to, like back after I wrote them. Uh, Janelle is talking about. Zaltaroff's appearance, how she's both monstrous and uh, like mo- the most beautiful ever. And in my notes, I wrote, uh, attention monster fuckers. According to Janelle, <laughs> Zaltaroff is hot as fuck. <laughs> and then I wrote, oh, yeah. uh, and then she like describes how Zaltaroff is so like her, she has like, you know, very seducing energy that there are people that gave up their soul just to have like carnal relations with Zaltaroth and uh, my question was like who gave up like who gave up their soul to have a night with Zaltaroth I know at least five people in real life who would probably give up their soul to fuck a demon to to death so yeah I know at least one so yeah that's fair I like that we're finally getting a little bit more of a sense of hell like Before, it was from Kieran's perspective, which was necessarily traumatized and kind of like, everything here is bad. Um, But Janelle's been there long enough to kind of see some of the gradations and Mm -hmm. understand that, like, there's a big battle going on with, you know, like, for the souls that end up here. Some of these demons are, like, kind of stupid and they don't understand what's going on. And then, like, Zaltarath is the worst because her methods of torture are psychological, not just physical. Like... Anybody can punch me in the face, says Janelle. Not everyone can punch me in the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the the afterlife, even though it is a very fucked up place, but it is still just, it's a place. Yeah. It has, you know, geography and politics and events and like time is a little weird, but it is, it is ultimately like, I mean, and the three of us have all sorts of speculation on what the afterlife really is, um, whether it's, the other continent or whether it's the old universe or whether it is just some like other shadow dimension thing. Uh, we have, we have lots of theories on that, um, which hopefully we'll find out at some point or wheedle gen lines into telling us. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's a place for sure. Right. Yeah. It's a physical reality. Yeah. And it, so one of the things that I noticed reading it, so I guess I'm reading it for the, second and a quarter time because i read this and then we got delayed in october for Mm. being alive reasons Mm -hmm. um so i just went back and reread uh the first eight chapters um and janelle's talking about how like very old things like villages that have been around for thousands of years end up in the afterlife Mm-hmm. in yeah. the places that they were or like mountains that have since been reduced to valleys um, yeah and it's just like physicality is not connected in the same way it's like almost like cthulhu geography it's like oh this thing is next to this other thing because i said so but yeah it's very weird like ooh, time yeah. time is an issue 
Zaltaroth to me is like the biggest remaining mystery. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Demons experience time differently. They don't experience it linear. And then this chapter makes me like reminds me that I want to know about Zaltaroth because mm-hmm. Janelle does this whole thing where it's like I'll not rest until I destroy every demon. And Zalt and she's like, and then Zaltaroth said the most haunting word. Yes. And, like haunted me. She said, "Good." And I'm like, "Yes, why? Right? why? What the fuck? What's going? Well, I don't like." Yeah, I have this theory that like there's a finite number of souls, and so if Janelle is destroying demons, it destroys the soul, and so like people can't be reborn or something. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of, though. My theory is, um, so like Zaltaroth doesn't seem to care about the other like hierarchies of like Demons. demonic mm-hmm. princelings but they're re- they're real to her she's like oh this is for Casmodius and she's like oh yeah. well, then I better take it and I think yeah. I wonder if she's not thinning out the competition she's Maybe. using Janelle yeah, to be yeah. like Zaltaroth may not want like we don't know how hell came about and so it might be just as inconvenient for her to for there to be like all these little dog monsters running around yeah yeah yeah, and I think, I'm starting to think that demons, like, are probably, especially with what happens later on in the books, uh, demons are just, like, a twisted version of humans in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the demon shit is the most confusing, and we also have the least amount of answers about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This chapter also mentions pickled sour apples for putting in oh. the porridge Ooh. and I'm like i want to try that that sounds good sorry that was unrelated <laughs> tangy mm. okay so this tournament yeah this fucking tournament all right so first up rello's var is there right we should talk about how tournaments like are a big like problem solver in Jorah. Mm-hmm. Like, their culture revolves around contest for solving a lot of their their conflicts yeah because yeah. It, is, it assumes that everybody's on the level. Right. Which it, they mostly are. I just really... it's It functions so closely and yet so differently from our own version of, like, sports and tournaments. Because it's like, mm-hmm. we do give respect to athletes who who lose gracefully. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you're like, good game. Like, I'm so happy that you won. Like, you know, they try to build up all these stories in the Olympics. It's like, the brothers yes. are competing, but then they love each other. Oh, um, look at all so. these people on the podium. They're friends. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think that, like, often in America, we, we have this narrative of sports dividing us. It's like, this is my team. I'm going to beat up the people from mm-hmm. the other team. Whereas, like, I think in Jorat, they kind of push it the other direction, which it, it does go in America. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, like, man, they did such a good job. We're, like, really happy for you that your team did so well. Mm. So I think I I think that, like, the if the tournament system were the system, I don't, I don't know that it's that bad. <laughs> I don't love, like, it doesn't make a lot of room for people like me who aren't super combat yeah. capable, but, like, if they had an equivalent of it for like who can paint the best thing, I would be like, mm-hmm. all right, that's who fair. Who can pod the best cast? <laughs> I think we'd be in the running, right? And Senere and Ninevis both remark about it being like, like not perfect. Yeah, yeah. 
Like oh, from their perspective, it's not too. different from. Well, Nineveh talks about. Oh yeah, Senere is there too mm-hmm. with. Uh, Brillo's bar. This, this and this old ass warden, the warden who may or may not be, uh, losing, the last of his marbles. Yeah, and it's and we find out it's because, like, no other wardens will come to judge Taman's sad tournaments. Do you think that's true, or do you think that they're just dead already? Uh, I think some of them won't come know. for sure. Because yeah. like, Taman in this chapter. In like uh, chapter five and six, uh, comes off very unhinged. Oh, he's oh, yeah. super. This is such a oh, good yeah. job with the crazy. Yeah. He's like subtle crazy. Yeah. She has to remind him what season it is. Oh, that hit me really <laughs> hard this time up. around. <laughs> yeah, there's this really strong like sense of tension mm-hmm. from the time that we arrive in. Uh, where is this place called again? Uh, um, Taman's place. Taman's place. Like from the minute we get to Taman's fortress, it is tense. Mm-hmm. Like even in those moments where Janelle and Taman are greeting each other as childhood friends, there is this weird tension because there's there's this sense that something is wrong. Barcini mm-hmm. Banner. There we go. So yeah, like it's it's there, there like it's it's. Fucking, it's so it's really well written because we've just been introduced to this culture and this place, and then we immediately go somewhere and we are already aware like something is wrong here, something is fucked up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that takes some skill. Mm-hmm. This is the first chapter also that has overlapping events with the Ruin of Kings when Rel's father yes. leaves because he finds out that Kieran has gone up for auction at uh, Kishna Faraga. Yeah. I Which thought that was neat. I love that name. Um and also it's such a it's such a great moment. It's why you need to read the books in order. Like yeah. this is not a series you can skip around because like God, it's so sadistic. It's just like casual sadism. It's so mm-hmm. much worse than Darzan in the first book, because Darzan right. like reveled in other people's suffering but yeah. Bar is just like oh yeah my brother is like being sold into slavery i gotta go i gotta oh. go witness that and that's Oops. so funny because that's how Relisvar is introduced in the first book at the auction yeah and he comes yeah. off as very different in that mm-hmm. chapter like he's he seems much more sinister yeah here he's just a auction. guy yeah but he seems like a he seems like a guy but the, like janelle can immediately sense like an aura about him mm-hmm. and the way that he looks at her mm-hmm. is so much different from the way he looks at his brother at the auction house mm-hmm. like he has no line about like i could see the color of your soul in this right movie. he's just like <laughs> oh i have to go janelle mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's his voice nice. yeah and like senere is there but there's not there's an understanding that they like know each other, but not you don't like you don't immediately get like oh they're working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everyone is so fucked up, it's impossible mm-hmm. to tell who's working together. Yeah, Senere mm-hmm. is like tertiary at best issue. It's just like okay, mm-hmm. great, she's manipulating this person. We got so many more issues before we deal yeah. with that. She's manipulating with a puppy. We can we can safely leave yes, that for now. Yes. Oh yes. We also meet uh, the puppy who is very important. <laughs> the dole, right? Yes. Yes. And I looked it up, and they're like real. Yeah. 
Yeah. I did too. I was like, that I did not look like... them up and I look did at, not know that they were look, They're very cute. They're Yeah. And then they're pretty much as described. They're like little like fox dog things. They're like kind of like coyotes too. They're like yeah. vaguely irritating to the local population. Mm. Like everyone's like, mm, yeah. I hated Taman in this chapter. He I hate, sucks. I hated sucks him so comparing his situation, especially with what we know later mm-hmm. with uh janelle's situation yeah they are they are in no way equal the same situation yeah. at all like even without the future information we get about what Taman has done yeah yeah but also it's so interesting to see janelle's response it's the opposite of Taman's. Taman is like we have to kill everyone and janelle's like he's probably confused yeah it's just like it you kind of you have to admire the fact that she tries to see the best in someone and yeah, in right. that sense like it does make sense that she and kieran are 16 are sorry 16 <laughs> oh that too no i meant in love it's oh, just like yeah. they both have this naive streak where it's like no if i believe in the system hard enough the system will work right yeah it's like right. yeah no it won't sweetie so no. like i i agree with Nineveh is like kill him like He's yeah. just going to keep doing this. Yeah, this Anyone is the moment yeah. in a D&D campaign where I'd be like, I take out my sword and I stab. <laughs> <laughs> I did find it It was a really funny moment for me when they first meet. And uh, and Cone makes a point of saying that Janelle is very delicate when she does like the head touch thing with mm. Taman. And I do really just there in I do find the idea of Janelle accidentally like headbutting his head right off right. very entertaining because she's yeah, so strong. They like, yeah. They like uh they 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 put the hand behind the neck mm-hmm. and then they, they touch like boop foreheads. foreheads. Yeah. Which is very cute. Mm-hmm. Also, like On My Red Moon is a fantastic period euphemism. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. There's a, I like how she's like coming up with excuses for why she can't possibly sleep with someone. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like the sexual culture that we're introduced to very early on is so different. She's yeah. just like, well, I would, but whatever. Yeah. As opposed to Kieran, who's like, he's born in a brothel and yet he's somehow still more like twisted up about <laughs> sex than she yeah. is. And poor corn. Oh, he's like he's just like he's like how do you do it in public he's like what do you mean how do you like it's not public there are walls yeah it's like but but everyone's in the same bed it's like and i and dorna just like constantly needling him about whether he's celibate or not (laughs) it's so funny and he's like he's he's constantly he's like i'm not or no he what does he he says he's celibate right he says he's celibate by choice and she's like, that's stupid. Right. Because, like, she wouldn't... It, I, I like the fine distinction between, like, they refer to him as a gelding. And it's just kind yes. of like, if you were a gelding, no one would bother you. Yeah. Like, if you were like, I'm just not interested in the stallions or the mares or yeah. anyone, everyone would be like, be oh, fine. okay, that's cool. But it's just like, well, no, I've got myself twisted up into this thing where, like, right. I'm interested in people, but I can't possibly... It's very, it's very like, he's protesting too much. And yeah. Dorna senses that because she's savvy and she's like mm. i could definitely see from cone's perspective of her of her being annoying though. yeah like, yes oh yeah i mean if someone takes a vow and they're taking it seriously leave them alone but on yeah. the other hand 
It's she's, a dumb vow. Like, Dorna's critiquing the fact that, like, maybe he didn't think about this. Yeah. Also, it's a bit hypocritical with how important Jorti's culture is to them, that when Cohen is telling, talking about his culture with this vow and everything, mm-hmm. and she's like, that's stupid. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, but that's very that, Dorna. That is, yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, like, character. it's it's rude as hell, and I agree mm-hmm. with you, but also every culture does that. It's right. like, mm-hmm. you know, America's like, why would you do it? That That's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, um, why would you Americans put pineapple do? on pizza? That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Raw fish. How or could just, you? This is the right way to do something. Right. Like, that's yeah. that's always what drives me crazy. When anytime I'm abroad, and people... I, I've I've lived abroad a bunch. Like people from all cultures do this. Like yeah. to talk about like uh like the real way to do something, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the re the real version of this dish, or the yeah like the real way to brew tea. And it's like no, like it's all real. I feel right. I, f- I feel like that's a good uh like with Dorna, it's a good thing. Like I hate it when um writers shy away from characters being annoying like mm. some characters just are sometimes annoying some people are sometimes <laughs> annoying so like even like it's funny that all these characters have moments where they're just like sort of needling at each other and being like not perfect protagonists you know what i mean yeah right yeah it's like well sometimes janelle is a dumbass in terms of like yes w- what is the absolute right choice given the information that we the reader have yeah it's probably kill your friend on the <laughs> other hand it's your friend yeah right like and yeah so i yeah i like that i like that tension there because not having a perfect like protagonist who's who's chosen by prophecy and the gods. It's just kind of like, eventually those people just turn into more Superman. They're just like morally unapproachable, unimpeachable, and so strong. And just like... Right. The the only choices that they can make is like, do you sacrifice yourself or not? Yes. The end. By Christina. Please give me money. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of prophecies... Um, oh, yeah, the Devoran prophecies. Yeah, they come up again here, but this time about Janelle. Uh, Taman's talking about this prophecy that is going to bring him down in some way. Uh, he says, The child, the demon-claimed child, there's a prophecy. The demon-claimed child uh, gathers the broken witches and outlaws, rebels, outspoken, uh, to plot conquest and uprising while winter's malice hides her chains in the Snow King's palace. That pretty much, like, lays out a lot of the plot of this book. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's the second part, though, that's really interesting. Mm. The claimed child waits, not dead but sleeping, dreaming of evil evil and souls for reaping. For when day and night at last are one, the Demon King bars will come undone. And then Janelle has a question about, oh, does that refer to an eclipse? I don't remember an eclipse coming up ever again after no. this point. Mm-mm. But keep in mind that Kieran used to be the sun god. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So. But I'm wondering if like, eh, oh, wait, never mind. I just pieced it together. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's good. Like, it's, it's suitably vague. 
Yes. Right. It's so, good prophecy. Right, it's exactly. it's vague the first time you read it, and the second time you read it, you're like, God damn it, it says exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. So in chapter seven, uh Darzen comes up here. Boo. And have you guys listened to the audiobook at all? Mm-mm. No. When you first read this section, did you think Janelle uh knew who Darzen was? I don't remember. Okay. Wait, when I first read it? When you no, first read it. Not. Probably okay, not. so the audiobook, definitely the way the actor reads it, gives away that she definitely, like, there's like a like a hesitation in her O, that okay. it definitely hmm. gives away that she knows who Darzen is. Because then she has that remark about how a lot of, we're like, we ran in a lot of the same circles and we met mm-hmm. a lot of the same people. And I did not get that same impression from the book. Okay. So I thought that was really interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what I thought. And I love how Kieran, in this beginning chapter, before they get into the events, he just ruins Cone's like whole day. No. Oh. Talking about the uh, the nine, there being nine dragons, Relosvar being one of them, mm-hmm. and that has to be shocking considering yeah. Cone's position at the time. Yeah. That the god that he's been taught to worship was in fact the sun god and i don't think he outright says that it's him and that oh, oh that the the god that he worships is now valkara yeah mm-hmm. and i just imagine like cone's like mind shatter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh poor cone that's pretty much like his entire experience throughout this whole book is like getting his mind blown kind of putting the pieces back together and then getting his mind blown up again yeah, he does not. He does not have an easy time of it. Mm-hmm. No. We can cut him a little bit of slack. Yeah, he's he's kind of had the foundations of his world rocked a few times. Right, which like he is like Kieran in the first book. Yeah, Kieran gets his yeah. foundation yeah. rocked in the first yeah. book. It's true. He but he has a very different reaction to mm. it. I will say, it, Senora points out something funny in the footnotes. Kind of when that happens, she's like, I. Kieran still worships the goddess of luck. What yeah. the hell? She he knows for a fact that they used to be bros. <laughs> like and so I'm imagining that Kona's kind of doing the same thing. Right. Where she's just kind of like, well, that might be true, but my paradigm yeah. can't deal with that right now. Yeah. So But if you were Kieran and you won every like card game because of this one god, maybe he would that's true. Less it's like pouring one out for away. his homie, kind of. Like, yeah. yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I just enjoyed that. It's like, oh, yeah, Karen does still have, like, this weirdly human deferential attitude yeah. toward just Taya. No, Taja. Taja. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what Jays do. Um. Anyway. I know Thank that's you. a weird statement. <laughs> Jay functions very differently in different languages. And that is fair. And how you yeah. use it. Yeah. I love in this chapter also, um, Janelle has that confrontation with Ninevis. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ninevis kind of stands in for the reader here mm-hmm. of being like, why haven't you killed him? Um, yeah. Why haven't you killed Taman yet? And she gets all mad. And this is when we first see like her eyes glow. Mm-hmm. And Janelle explains that if she killed Taman, she does not, it's not her that becomes yeah. in charge. Uh, it'll be the strongest person of the herd that becomes in charge. 
And right now, that's Deidre, who's a monster. Yeah. And so that's, and like, she gets all up in Nineveh's face. And I'm like, and me as the reader, I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, I guess yeah, totally. I was like, okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But that being said, that's the first time we have that information about inheritance mm-hmm. law. Because before that, we're talking about like, Janelle inherited from her grandfather. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's reasonable you would assume that it kind of goes the same yeah. way as it does in Core. But this also displays Janelle's idealism of the system, yeah, because yeah. she has that remark about, you can't assassinate your way into power, and then mm-hmm. Senere is like, yes you can, it's just <laughs> instead of it being hereditary, it's popularity contest. Right, yeah. So you could choose a popular person to, and make them popular, to inherit or you just kill yeah. every more popular person. Yeah. Right. Or or in the case of Janelle's own canton, like, just pay him off. Right. right. Yeah. Money makes you real popular sometimes. Yep. But it was still a good, like, it's still a very tense scene. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot. Yeah. Everyone is immediately working within a lot of constraints, just like the first book. Yeah. And I don't know how Jen Lyons does it. She sets up very complex systems, and then you immediately understand a, what's at stake, and B, what's inhibiting yeah. you from punching someone. Yeah. yeah. And then on the side, she introduces, oh, here's Shanatha metal, this Kerpus mm. metal that mm-hmm. Koros declared war on them mm-hmm. in order to get. And it's just like a little drop thrown in. And it's like, wow. I really love these books. You have Mithril. You have yeah. Elf. Yeah. Elf metal. That's great. Yeah. So you can like you can see some of the influences here, um, and it's fine because it's it's clearly homage. Like, Gen Lines has so many ideas. Like, holy shit! Yeah. It's just kind of corn. Like corn's whole universe imploding is a is like one half of one book's subplot. <laughs> Yeah. Like it doesn't like he some some entire series are based around hey the world doesn't work the way we think it does. It's like, oh, the system of magic turns out it's run by evil theocrats. I can't tell you how sick of I I am of that plot line because it's like mm-hmm. of course they're evil and probably they're pedophiles. That happens so often at this point. <laughs> it's just like we get it. You don't like Catholicism. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But this one is like we don't like any religion. And we also don't like no religion. We like we to light things like on fire. <laughs> it's so complicated as opposed to like and and it's like a yeah, it's a footnote, literally. And then we get another political tidbit about how nobles they have this like the the contests have a symbolic black knight that anybody right. can be. Yes. And and Janelle goes into detail about how anybody but a noble can become a knight, and how that's different from Koros, where knights are essentially chosen through like a more rigid structure and class. In Jorat, it's more anybody can become a knight, yeah. except for nobles. But there's this one system, the Black Knight, where nobles can participate in the contest by putting on this disguise. And it's usually like the Black Knight is usually like a jester kind of figure, but mm. every once in a while, the Black Knight is entering contest to, and it's usually a noble there to have fun. And so Janelle is using this in order to confront Diedrich. Mm. 
All I could think reading it this time was Freddie Mercury taking Princess Diana out to gay clubs. That's like, the Black Knight is Princess Di. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not not the case. But um, yeah, there's that sense of like, the Black Knight is actually the release valve for the nobles and also a way for the, the population to be like, yeah, we like this noble. They're not just like, someone who sits in their tower they also participate in our like most important traditions in society because mm-hmm. i imagine if you're if the noble of your banner is like specifically six and a half feet tall and he shows up in a black knight costume you're you, no one is fooled so that's yeah like it's yeah. cute like it's a good yeah it's a good everybody kind of turns thing. a blind eye yeah and we meet uh sir baramon who mm-hmm. is the black knight here and Senere has a funny remark about, oh, I should have done a background check on this guy. <laughs> and uh, he apparently ran away and went from uh, her grandfather, Janelle's grandfather's, like, estate when the Hell March came. And now Janelle is like, I'm here to cash in a favor because <laughs> you ran away. But also she's like, I don't blame you for running mm-hmm. away. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. She's like, that was the right decision. Yeah. She's like, yeah. you would have died. Yeah, but it's like, it's interesting because it's also clearly a, I think everyone in that situation understands that she's one of the few people who can grant him that absolution, and it doesn't come for free. Yep. And you see that it, like, affects him when she forgives him Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. It's like, the price of this, the price of what you've been telling yourself all these years actually being true is now you serve the person who who gave you your freedom back. (laughs) Um, which is a good touch. It is, it's, it's also kind of a chink in the armor of how Jorat works. Cause it's like, yeah. well, if you have your own Idora and your, like your own, uh, Thudaje, like how you submit and how you act should always be in, in accordance with that. But clearly he didn't act in accordance with yeah. the people he gave his fealty to, except that it turns out he did. He was following orders, but like, Right. Then he shouldn't feel shame, and yet he still does. So, yeah. like, something's still not working in Jorat. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this is when we, like, leave off where, like, this is the plan coming together. Yeah. She's yeah. calling in a favor. Putting a team together. <laughs> One last job. Exactly. And and he's so close to retirement. <laughs> uh, I'd like to briefly talk about the audiobook. Sure. Um, I think I talked about it for book one. So book one had three narrators, uh, one playing Talon, one playing Kieran, and one playing Thurvishar. This book similarly does the same thing with Cohen, Janelle, and Senere. Nice. Uh, Senere is played by uh, Saskia Marleveld, and Cohen is played by Dan Bittner, and Janelle is played by Lauren Fortgang. And they do a great job. Especially uh, Saskia during Senere's, like, she gets her sassiness, like, perfect. It's so good. When she, like, intercedes with her footnotes that are, like, particularly cutting. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I I should listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always impressed with the level of effort they put into these audiobooks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I just don't listen to a lot of stuff, uh, but, like... Holy shit, audiobooks are a lot of work. You read an yeah. entire book, 
out oh, yeah. loud, slower than you read it to yourself. I don't have that attention span, yeah. yeah. It's easier for me to read a book, yeah. kind of the way it's like, it's actually easier to type things and write yeah. it out longhand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we leave it. Um, right about as right right when the plan is coming together. Yes. Um, any final thoughts? Book good. Book good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Josh, what else are you reading? So I have made the poor decision to <laughs> uh, start reading the manga One Piece. From the very beginning. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. All right, bye, Josh. We'll see you in five years. I'm already like 120 <laughs> chapters in. Oh, Because it's uh, the Shonen Jump app. It's only mm-hmm. like $1.99 a month. Okay. It makes it very easy to read it all. And it's just like swiping, swiping, swiping on your phone. And uh, the other book, I'm not reading it yet, but I just want to, uh, it comes out Tuesday and I can't wait for it. Uh, one of my favorite professional wrestlers, John Moxley, is releasing his autobiography on Tuesday. It's just called Mox. He's very like like Janelle. He's very blunt with the way he speaks. Has that like like when you think of like Cincinnati tough guy, mm-hmm. he like it isn't the character that's like who he is as a person and the brief. Uh, what do you call like certain when you get like read certain uh, sections of yeah the f- brief excerpts I've seen of the book is that he writes his book and it's very well written but it's also written exactly how he talks so there's like a fuck like every other <laughs> sentence and, I respect that yeah and people are talking about it as like that I've gotten to preview it as like the best uh, wrestling biography ever and so Ooh. highly anticipating reading it i'm probably gonna read Dang. it like one day nice steph what about you so what am i doing um i am reading right now i am reading oh i'm reading paladin's grace by t king for sure <gasps> which is excellent uh i am also rereading uh the um bands of mourning by brandon sanderson also yay and then I have like I have like two books in the wings <laughs> that I need to <laughs> I need to finish the current one so I can get to the next ones. You guys have done this to me. It happened real fast. Yeah, too. it took me a I'm, little bit longer. I'm always behind. I, uh, I can't like keep up with all the books. Welcome, yeah. welcome to being yeah. behind. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I finished the Paladins. Uh, well, right now it's a trilogy, but there are more books planned. Thank mm. God. Um, and there are. So good. They're really fun. So cute. Um, Right now I'm reading, um, (laughs) I found a book. I told both of you about this already, but um, I was in like the used section and there's a book published in 1909 called Prisoner of the Vampires of Mars. And holy (laughs) shit, I bought it just for the title. And surprisingly, it's not pornographic. Hey. Uh, it sounded like one of those 1950s like yeah. pulp sci-fi things where it's like, oh no, and then the aliens had boobs. What do we do? <laughs> um but it's actually like it's kind of like old Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um and it's definitely of the time. I cannot recommend yeah. it for its wokeness because it is not. But for what it is, it's like surprisingly good. I'm surprised yeah. that like it never got more press as compared to like Dracula or yeah. um, Edgar Rice Burroughs or any of the like the monk. Um, <laughs> clearly, it's not the literary uh, masterpiece rising to the level of Frankenstein. That's like 
a different level, but yeah. like some of right. the other stuff, like. So yeah, I'm surprisingly enjoying that. Okay. It it does fit all my interest, which is vampires and Mars. So nice, nice. I apologize to all our listeners with how congested I am right now. I don't think you sound that congested. Meh. Oh, okay. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for the first set of chapters for the name of all things. Sheena, where can we find you? Oh, yeah. oh, you can find me on Twitter at Oladdy Girl, and you can find all of us doing reviews and other podcasts on geeklyinc.com. Josh? Can you can me. follow me on Twitter and most social medias, and hopefully on Twitch soon, uh, at 4 of 5 wits. Steph, where can we find you? You can follow me doing internet related things at Steph O. Kingston on Twitter. Nice. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for reading. Thank um, you. Hoard those books. Yeah. Hoard them. Yes. <laughs> Do it. Cowards. <laughs> Do it, cowards. <laughs> Do it. Take all the books. You won't. Sit, <laughs> sleep on a pile of books. Yes. Thank you for listening to No Page Unturned, part of the Geekly Inc. podcast family. If you like the show, please show us some love with a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NoPagePodcast. The show is edited by me, Steph Kingston. Our amazing theme music is by Bad Sparrow, and you can check them out at Bad Sparrow Music. And our cover art is by Chango Chimango, who you can check out on Instagram and Twitter at Chango Chimango.